0: Well good morning, good morning. on this Thursday, the thirteenth of January, where in the word are you today I encourage each of us and all of us to open the Bible? I had a person who asked this morning for a book recommendation related to a specific issue uh, in their family and um, you know the immediate answer to the question is the book you 're looking for uh, is the Bible uh, the guidance you 're looking for is biblical wisdom the Um, The input you're looking for is input from God and not, you know, I will just confess that sometimes when we turn to the scriptures for counsel on something, you know, we don't get the counsel that we were kind of looking for. So we we think that we might just be looking for the answer for how to bring peace in a particular relationship, but we don't often consider, um, you know, God's perspective on that. Which is that my brothers and sisters? You know, these are my brothers and sisters. This is my mother and my brothers. The, the those who do the will of the Father, uh, and that Jesus comes, um, you know, n- not to bring peace but division. Like that, those are hard teachings of Scripture when it comes to uh, the question of of our relationships. And so I acknowledge that openly. Um, But I still encourage us to turn to the Word of God first, turn to the Word of God first. Um, Before turning to other books and looking for, you know, other counsel, let us be people who turn to the Word of God first, seek the counsel and the wisdom of God, um, and recognize that sometimes uh, the people with whom we are in um you know, sort of like genetic relationships. Those are not necessarily the people with whom we're going to spend all eternity as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so let us be knitting ourselves together as a family of faith, recognizing that um, eternally we have more in common with a fellow Christian believer in uh, a part of the world where we have never set foot and a person whose name we can't even pronounce uh, than we do with a person who lives right next door, but is a person who is not in Christ. And so I know that those are hard teachings, but those are also the true truth. As I'm surveying the headlines this morning, one of the things that I'm looking at um, is new polling, finding that an increasing percentage of Americans view uh, the protection of abortion rights as a high priority for the federal government. And so uh, this, uh, this conversation is in front of us because... Uh, the Supreme Court decision related to abortion as a right um, is facing a real threat, right, in states across the country um, and at the federal level as the Supreme Court considers cases related um, to the constitutionality of abortion, um, which is, you know, a, in my view, a fabricated right um, that the Supreme Court created. Um, in the Roe v. Wade decision, so I think that um, it's good news that it's rising on the list of priorities for people in the culture. I think that as gives us as Christians an opportunity to talk about life, to talk about the gift of of life, the creator of life, the author of life, the one who knits us together in our mother's womb. It, it gives us an opportunity to talk about Christmas. Right? Christmas is a is a pro life story. Um, if you want to turn to a passage of scripture that bears total evidence that God is present in and with um, the preborn, the encounter of the pregnant, newly pregnant Mary, and the fully pregnant, like, like heavy with child Elizabeth, um, who is pregnant with the one that we know as John the Baptist, Mary pregnant with the one we know as Jesus. When those two pregnant women encounter one another, the scripture says, that the child within Elizabeth's womb leapt in recognition of the child in Mary's womb. That's incredible. That's just absolutely incredible. And that's about as um, as pro-life a passage as, uh, as you could imagine. But you can also turn to the Psalms, where it talks about you and I being knit together in our mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made. God knows us full well. Um, you know, he's the one that knows us in the depths of That material creation. It's just incredible. All right. um, Do you know what's going on in the after school clubs at the schools, elementary schools near you? In 5,000 schools across the country, there are something called good news clubs. Those are sponsored by Child Evangelism Fellowship. You're going to hear much ado in the news, um, you know, people squawking about these um, clubs that are sponsored by Satanic Temple. The after-school Satan clubs. You're going to see, um, you know, all kinds of uh, of hemming and hawing and jawing about that today. Well, that's because the Satanic Temple, you know, they're trying to open after-school Satan clubs in all of the places where Child Evangelism Fellowship has good news clubs. So let me encourage you to do this today. Focus on sponsoring a good news club through Child Evangelism Fellowship in an elementary school near you, and worry less about what the satanic temple is up to. Worry about what the church is up to. All right, Ben Johnson is up next. He's a media reporter with The Daily Wire. We'll be right back.
2: This is my right, my right.
0: All right. Ben Johnson is back. It's Ben's Day. Oh, no. that It would make more sense if we had Ben on on Wednesday and call it Ben's Day. We, it, today, we really need somebody whose name rhymes with Thursday. But anyway, I don't know who that would be. Ben Johnson, welcome back.
1: Good to be with you, Carmen.
0: We do call it Ben's Day. Do you know that?
1: It's it's uh, very flattering and, and you know, <laughs> consider me at your service uh, whatever day you wish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So um, I read two, um, two pieces, one suggesting that American democracy is dying, another suggesting that American democracy is in fact flourishing. Um, how would we know? How would we know? What would you say the signs would be of either the flourishing of democracy in a particular place and time or signs of its morbidity?
1: I think that the main thing you would want to look for in a case uh, particularly like the United States is widespread understanding, fidelity to, and practice of our system of government, particularly in our case, the U.S. Constitution. That's, That's the system that was put in place by our founding fathers in order to guide the ship of the state. And every American was encouraged for generations to know it, to understand how it's different than every other form of government in the world the unalienable rights that accru- that accrue to everyone because of our birth in this country, all of those things had been part of the warp and woof of our country for generations. And the question would be, do we have a large percentage of Americans who are disaffiliated with that, who, uh, under, who seek to uh, repeal that form of government, who even say that uh, the form of government was harmful from its outset? So I think that that would be the lever that uh, our republic rests upon. It's not so much, uh, you know, the idea of institutions and how people are acting in any one particular idea and any one particular moment. It's the the sense of the people. And we lose our republic through ignorance and through apathy, ignorance of our Constitution as it's written, our founding fathers form of government, their intentions for the way that government should respect our rights as citizens under God and apathy when those unalienable rights are being trampled by that government.
0: All right. If you could, um, if you could. How would you fix it? What would you have us do?
1: I think civic education is one of the most important things, and and, people's eyes glaze over when you put the words together. But uh, very simply, to to make people understand that what the Founding Fathers intended was something different, unique, uh, radical in the history of the world. They studied all of the republics. Our Founding Fathers were incredibly learned. They studied ancient Greece, ancient Rome. They saw how systems worked. They traced the arc of civilization upward and then the inevitable destruction of civilizations over time. And they built in as many safeguards as possible into our system of government. So people need to know what those are. And, you know, ideally, that's what the public schools should be doing. And in place of that, we get things like uh, the 1619 Project Curriculum being taught in its place that this was always a form of uh, control by, by a small number of people to control uh, people of all races who are under them socioeconomically. That's dangerous. I think one of the things we need to look for that uh, that I consider dangerous to our republic is very little remarked upon. And uh, that is very simply uh, what's going on in in the effort to try and reshape our democratic institutions. You know, we've had nine members of the Supreme Court for 150 years since the end of the Civil War, essentially, There's an effort to change that, to expand it for political advantage now that there's a conservative majority just barely on the court. Uh, There are efforts. uh, Democrats have stripped elected representatives of their committee assignments. Certain uh, members of Congress, like uh, Representative Cory Bush, have talked about expelling members of Congress after they're elected. Uh, there's talk uh, by a Democratic election lawyer named Mark Elias, very well connected, uh, particularly to the Clintons, to use the 14th Amendment to legally block Republicans like uh, Ted Cruz from running for Congress. So, on the one hand, there's this talk of expelling elected officials from office. On the other hand, there's the idea of expanding the electorate to allow non citizens to vote and uh, making institutions that are not states formed into states so that they can change the balance of the electoral college without repealing the constitution as it's formally written all of that formally changes the structures of our of our nation when they talk about our democracy it really is our democracy they they mean it meaning theirs a very a very slim section of uh, the political spectrum you know, you may have an Eric Adams versus uh, an Elizabeth Warren, but that essentially would be the choice that is left to us if these sorts of things are allowed to uh, continue.
0: Yeah, I would say that the um, the proposal of some or the consideration of some that every state maybe shouldn't have two senators because some states are so small. Like I, I think about I, mean, I think about all kinds of ideas that are out there that, um, that cut right to the core of what the Constitution Um, says and guarantees and the safeguards that are built in. Those are really astute observations. I think, uh, you know, as you and I are thinking about the nation in which we live, uh, the the place where we're privileged to be born um, as citizens or a place where you have become a citizen through a process of naturalization, or maybe you're in the midst of that right now, one of the things that you and I might think about is could we pass the citizenship test Um, if we had to? The naturalization test to become a citizen of the United States. Do we actually know enough about our own country that, you know, we we could become a citizen if we Uh, If we were not already, that is a conversation that we had at our dinner table. Maybe that would be an interesting um, thing for you to consider today. What do we require of those being naturalized as citizens? And, um, you know, could I pass that kind of of civics exam related to the country where I was born and the one that I love? All right, Ben Johnson and I uh, are going to talk about what's something that's going on in Canada. Um, If you had a critically ill child, And that child was being treated um, for cancer and you were living in the Ronald McDonald house. Would it surprise you to get an eviction notice because your immunocompromised child had not been vaccinated against COVID? Yep. Crazy. We're going to talk about that next. Ben Johnson is here. He's a media reporter for The Daily Wire. You can check out what he and others are writing at DailyWire.com. Ben, I want to get to The Daily Wire piece about the U.S. government making lists on personal religious information for people who have applied for religious exemptions from vaccination. But on the vaccination topic, I first want to cover this story out of Canada. Can you tell people what's going on here?
1: Yes, a gentleman by the name of Austin Ferguson posted a, a viral video about himself. He's at uh, Ronald McDonald House. He has a five-year-old son who's, by the way, in the video and is cute as a button, but uh, he's, he's being evicted. The, the five-year-old has leukemia, and they're both being evicted from Ronald McDonald House because they got a, a letter that says all tenants, adults, and children over the age of five who are not vaccinated have to be out by the end of January. Now, of course, Ronald McDonald House is a place where if someone's in long term care, uh, you don't have to um, live with a relative or rent a motel. You can stay there relatively for free and uh, and take care of your children and be with them while they're getting the care that they need. The idea that Ronald McDonald House is kicking out. and, and, And again, this is anyone who's not vaccinated over the age of five. These are people who uh, might have medical reasons not to be vaccinated. These are people, obviously, who could have religious objections to being vaccinated. None of that is relevant as far as they're concerned. This is unimaginable cruelty uh, emanating from, from this area where they're separating families, uh, keeping people away from people who are in dire need and uh, you know, who, when, when they're in that kind of a situation, all they care about is being around people who love them. And there may be the only respite they get during a long day of tests and medical procedures, which can be torturous, uh, particularly for young children. And the idea that uh, the Ronald McDonald House is putting a vaccine mandate ahead of family ties is truly unimaginable.
0: Yeah, so to be clear, this is in British Columbia. Um, the, the Ronald McDonald House that we're talking about is the Yukon branch, we're not clear whether or not this is um, a Ronald McDonald House charities-wide uh, question. Um, and so I guess that if you are in this region and you want to help, maybe this would be a person to whom you want to reach out, um, certainly praying for the Ferguson family and their son, um, Jack. Um, so, uh, Ben, 10 years ago... This week, I was in Arizona with my sister, with my then brand newly diagnosed nephew, um, Larry, who uh, was diagnosed with leukemia. And because uh, they were able to get treatment right there um, in their own city, like we didn't have to as a family, we didn't have to rely on the Ronald McDonald House. But I've been in um, the Ronald McDonald suite here um, in in Nashville um, yeah. at uh, at the Vanderbilt Children's Hospital, um, you know, when we have spent long periods of time in the hospital with Matthew. And I know that the ministry is really significant. And so this came as a shocking surprise to me, um, and certainly one that I hope, um, you know, folks intervene in relationship to. Let's be praying for families today who are struggling, whose kids are sick, there is, um, there there may be no greater burden that a family bears. Um, and so let's be praying for these folks today. Ben, I do want Amen. you to tell us what's going on um, here in the United States of America. Apparently, the United States government, um, you know, well, took advantage of people who are applying for religious exemptions from the vaccine and thought, you know what, let's make a list of those people and their religious affiliations. What's going on there?
1: Yeah, this is a, a story that uh, was published at uh, Daily Wire by uh, one of my colleagues, Ryan Saavedra, and it, it's incredible what uh, he's discovered here. The Pretrial Services Agency for the District of Columbia, an agency most people do not know exists, the Pretrial Services Agency for the, the District of Columbia is making a list and checking it twice. It's going to compile a list of everyone who asks for a religious exemption from any federal vaccine mandate. So that's healthcare workers as well as, uh, depending on, of course, we're expecting word from the Supreme Court, possibly on these issues as early as today, uh, about the nationally federally mandated vaccination mandate for employers of 100 people or more, Uh, that uh, case being brought by the Daily Wire. Anyone who has a religious, who asks for a religious exemption from that vaccination will go into this database. Now, uh, I've, I've actually seen, and I know people who have applied for these kinds of uh, requirements. Uh, they've, they've asked for an exemption, and when you do this, you, you can't simply say I have a religious I have a religious exemption. First of all, you have to detail your religious beliefs that conflict with the vaccination. Then you have to prove that these are your bona fide beliefs. You have to show a, a true belief in what you're saying through a dedicated uh, service, and that this has gone on for some period of time. It's not a newly discovered idea uh, that you truly have um, lived this out in your life. You're not simply using this as a dodge to get out of the shot. So all of that contains a great deal of information about your life, about your faith, about the particular doctrines that you hold to. And all of that will now be in a searchable database available to those who have access to the federal government. Now, this is this is a catastrophe waiting to happen. Some people might remember if you go back in your memory base a couple of years, all of the donors uh, who supported uh, Proposition 8 in California, the Marriage Defense Amendment in California in 2008, had their names leaked uh, by people who had access to tax information. Uh, There was a gentleman uh, just a a few months uh, before that by the name of Sam Wurzelbacher, uh, also known as Joe the Plumber. He asked uh, Barack Obama one of the only embarrassing questions that he got in 2008. And uh, it was basically the only embarrassing moment for the entire uh, campaign against him, thanks in large part to the McCain campaign. And uh, what ended up happening was a a member of the the, matter of fact, the head of the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services searched his personal information with no political uh, with no uh, bona fide reason to do so eight separate times. Uh, So there were three separate people who were in the state of Ohio searching his personal information because it was in a database. When you have a list, a database of people and what they believe in terms of their religion, what they do in terms of uh, in order to support those religious doctrines, uh, this is this is something that is just begging to be abused. And uh, when you when you institute that, then you have the ability to institute religious discrimination. Sub Rosa, without anyone knowing that it's happening
0: it's pretty incredible it's pretty incredible, all right, so Ben, thank you for making us aware of this bringing us uh bringing this to our attention um you know I think for those of us who are very very publicly uh christian and and have the privilege of working for organizations where that is celebrated and valued that's um that's different than a lot of people who work in a lot of environments where uh, being a person of faith is not a celebrated reality um and being a convictional christian and people you know maybe having an awareness of that could actually be used against you in uh in in all kinds of ways and so um, just thank you for alerting us um, to this development. I think it's an it, important one. All right, uh, Ben, we got to leave it right there. You guys can find Ben Johnson at dailywire.com, where he serves as a media reporter. You can also find him online. Uh, he tweets as the rights writer. We'll be right back. Right, I want to bring you a good news story um, right now. Uh, so in Nova Scotia, the churches got together uh, in um, in well, in all kinds of communities. But Bedford is the one that I'm looking at right now. Um, and it, 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 they wanted to build emergency winter shelters and they wanted to have 20 of them completed um, prior to Christmas. And the reason that that's making news right now is the last two of those structures were installed Um, a couple of days ago in Bedford. Um, They're being installed on the property of these congregations, 20 pretty simple but temporary shelters where Nova Scotians experiencing homelessness can spend the winter. Um, And so it's, it's coming, the story's coming from the Archdiocese of Halifax, Yarmouth, um, which has been fundraising for these emergency sh- shelters since last year. They are facing a growing housing crisis in, in Nova Scotia. Um, and I just, I love it. You can actually go and watch this on Facebook. Um, the The company that built them is called Well Engineered. And I just decided yesterday after I read this, you know what, I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to call them. Um, and so I Googled Well-Engineered um, Incorporated and I gave them a call. And let me tell you, Neil, who answered the phone, was really surprised to hear from somebody in America who who was just calling to say thank you. Each one of these structures cost just over $10,000 to build and the company Well-Engineered is installing them. Um, I thought it was an inspiration and I thought, um, hey, people in America ought to know about this. If you are if you are having conversations in your congregation, how can we do something tangible this year to really impact uh, the reality in our own community of homelessness? What about, you know, what about putting emergency winter shelters in the parking lot of your church or on the perimeter of your church property somewhere? My guess is there's some unused property um, around you. It doesn't take much. It's like a postage stamp size uh, piece of land that these require to be um, set upon. All right. So that's my uh, my good news and inspirational encouragement Um, today. Kathy Branzell is going to join us next. Um, A couple of years ago, a house fire um, took the lives of some of Kathy's family members, and the the recent headlines out of both Philadelphia and New York related to um, fires that have taken the lives of uh, a couple dozen people in just recent days um, made me think, you know what, let's talk with Kathy about how we deal with that as Christians, Um, Kathy comes to us from the National Day of Prayer Task Force, and we're just going to talk about, you know, her own experience of loss due to a house fire um, and how we address um, such tragedy when it happens uh, in our own communities. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
1: Parents have many responsibilities as they raise kids, but one of the most profound tasks is this, to train their children. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Over the years, I've begun to see the difference between teaching and training. Teaching involves the transfer of concepts, giving input, and plenty of correction. These aren't bad things, but I find that training in the teen years is a better model. In it, you're giving your child the opportunity to flex their decision-making muscles. You're not overly protecting them from the world, you're coaching them to thrive in it. The main purpose of training should be to get kids ready for the world they will live in, not the world that parents would like for them to live in. Are you training your child or just teaching your child? Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store.
0: Kathy Branzell heads up the National Day of Prayer Task Force, and she is a sister in Christ and a dear friend. Kathy, welcome back.
2: Good morning, friend. Good
0: morning, friend. Good morning, friend. I want to get to the conversation about having a word of the year because I feel (laughs) confident you have one, but I want to start, but I want to start with the other conversation. Um, Hmm. We've been, we've been looking at um, the stories out of both Philadelphia and New York City, really in the Bronx, um, related to fires that uh, cost several families um, members of their families. Uh, many people have lost their lives, and lots of people um, are now, uh, you know, obviously displaced and um, and having a really hard time. Share with um, yeah. share with us again, um, you know, a little of your own experience of a house fire, um, and you know what that mm. cost your family, uh, <clears throat> and then talk with us about um, about how we as Christian brothers and sisters can rightly respond, not only in the moment, but over time, because this is a grief that never goes away.
2: Correct. I'm so glad you said that. Um, Yeah, in October of 2019, my cousin uh, was sleeping in her house, uh, thought her air conditioner had broken, because she woke up hot. She had a downstairs corner bedroom, master bedroom that um you know it was right across from the garage so a lot of stonework around the outside of the house and when she opened her bedroom door her entire house was engulfed in flames it was just gone and her two children um Sean and Morgan uh, were sleeping upstairs and the fire actually the coroner ultimately said that the gas the gas leak um took them first and that was a a the, a little bit of comfort, but we lost both of them, uh, together that night in that house fire completely. There was a, a a gas leak and then a spark, um, with her stove, with her oven. And it, it just took the house in moments and Robin escaped, but lost both of her children. And, um, it made the Atlanta news, you know, for days, it was like our whole city mourned, um, us losing Sean and Morgan, and um, it's been a journey. Uh, a, a couple of things. I would just beg everyone to to take these words out of um, out of your life. Move on. Mm-hmm. Um, get over it. Uh, it. It it's a journey, and it becomes a part of your journey that you take with you. And um, I've been so proud of my cousin because she's just clinging to God and um, she doesn't forget. And so I love that she still posts children of Sean, uh pictures of Sean and Morgan on, you know, social media and talks about missing her babies, hashtag miss my babies. Um, but she posts scripture and she posts her prayer and she's just showing the world Yes, I miss my babies, but I'm moving forward in life. You don't move on, but you can move forward in life um, with God. And and that's been our journey, a very painful, painful journey to lose those two children.
0: I um you know, I am in one of those families that's so blessed to be able to say that you know, we have a we have a child a you know, a now young man who's a cancer survivor, um, mm-hmm. he carries he carries with him um, a, a, a little girl named Dana who was going through her cancer journey the same time Larry was going through his. And Dana, um, you know, Dana did not overcome cancer; cancer overcame her. Um, mm-hmm. And her parents are still a really important integral part of Larry's life um, and the life of my sister and and, and you know, and their whole family. Um, And I think, I think about like the, the things that Dana's family shows up for and their child is not participating in because she's not there. Um, And I, I think that those are the times, those are the moments when I just recognize this is forever. Like this is forever. It's not, it's not that they don't, they don't live with the confidence that God has received those, um, you know, those children unto himself, but it's a long time to live in this life without them.
2: Correct. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the great you you asked, how how do we respond? How does the church respond? Um, And several things. And I'll remind everybody of the horrific fires in Boulder, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just just a a couple of weeks ago. um, And we've got friends out there. And you've got hundreds of people who lost their homes. And right now, with COVID and supply chain and the cost of, you know, construction goods and how far behind everything is, they're being told that it could be two years, two years, before they can rebuild their home. Mm. And there, there's no place for them to go. The, you know, Boulder was, <laughs> Boulder burned, and and so where do you, where do hundreds of families go to live? And so um you know one thing of course always is meet meet basic needs jesus did that before he talked spiritual he often talked physical he often met a physical need there was a physical healing he he fed them um and and so go and meet physical needs and um and you all know i had cancer my son had cancer and let me just tell you one of the worst things you can do is nothing Mm. Um, because you really sit and think, does anybody even care? Don't be afraid of saying the wrong thing. Um, we can even laugh about it. People would, would say really stupid things and you could see that they were horrified at what just came out of their mouth. And if you could just laugh and go, you know, we are imperfect people, but it's so wonderful that you just came over, that you just Mm. called me, that, that you're just giving me time to talk it through and think and and so don't be afraid to say the wrong thing uh just show up um and and let people talk uh let we have to get it out we have to remember god tells us to remember and tell about our journey and the things he's done and talking about it is part of the healing and so that's the second thing meet physical needs second thing is show up um, be a good listener Uh, And, and then the other thing is remember the first responders. So, um, I think we talked about this when this happened, it was astounding to me, God's goodness, as I went to, um, I was scheduled months in advance to go, uh, speak at chapel at a certain ministry in Atlanta. And, um, it was, it had been on the calendar since, uh, like May and here it was the end of October And um, when I got to the ministry, it was full of of firefighters and rescue trucks and ambulances in the parking lot. And I was like, oh, goodness, what's happening? And and when I walked in, it turned out that it had been scheduled for months and months for the first responders chapel to take place Mm. that day. Mm. And when I got in the room and started telling the story about Morgan and Sean everybody started weeping and it turned out that the people in that room were the people that responded to my cousin's fire and we got to start healing together that day. God allowed me to minister to people I would have never had access to. And so let me encourage you to go to your fire departments, to go to your police stations, you know, and, and say, thank you. Um, Find out what you can do. Find out how you can pray thank them for what they do, um, and and build a relationship even with them as an intercessor, as a supporter, as an encourager, um, because those people um, take every emergency to heart. And um, that's a lot of trauma to live with.
0: Yeah, I live near an interstate, and you've just reminded me, you know, all the times that my local, my very local Police officers and firefighters, um, sheriff's deputies respond to horrific accidents on the interstate. Um, and you know we don't feel those in our in our local community because they're often people from far far away. Um, you know who are who are actually involved in the accident, but it's mm-hmm. our local people who are responding um, to that. So thank you for that um, reminder, Kathy. All right, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, um, we're gonna we're gonna pivot. The question before us is, do you have a word of the year? Have you settled in on a word? Maybe your word is resilience or grace. Maybe your word is rest. Do you have a word of the year? Kathy Branzell is going to share hers next. We'll be right back. We're talking with Kathy Branzell. She heads up the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Um, she is also uh, just a dear, dear friend. Um, Kathy, you are a word-of-the-year person. Talk about um, the word-of-the-year practice, and then what's your word this year?
2: <laughs> uh, I, I am. I've done this for decades, so it's funny that, um, you know, when we were sending emails... You gone. Uh, what we were gonna yeah about and so um the word of the year is it, it feels like uh you're just you're submitting so so many times we have all these new year's resolutions and we tell god and others you know oh i'm gonna lose 10 pounds i'm gonna join a gym i do this i'm gonna stop this i'm gonna start that i want this i want to go you know we set all this stuff But for me, the word of the year inclines my ear and I start in the fall and I say, Lord, how do you show me something deep you want to disciple me in for the next year? And so instead of telling God what I'm going to do this year, um, you know, it it gives me a focus of what he might want to do in my life, something he wants to teach me this year. And so that word then that he puts on my heart, uh, it, and it's a long process, it's not the first word that pops in my head, and I go, okay, let's run with that one. Um, but then I start digging through scripture, and I uh, read the scripture, I write the scripture, I ponder the scripture, I journal, um, and, and it, at the beginning of the year, I have a group of friends that I talk to, they, You know that we all have a word, and we always write down what we think, and we always laugh because we know it's going to be different. What, you know, God might want to teach us about this word or what we already know about that word, that that character of Christ, um, biblical character of Christ you know, that God might want to work in, deeper into us. And at the end of the year in December, we always meet. And uh, it's so funny throughout the year to even hear how he's teaching us. And it has absolutely nothing to do with what we thought he might do because his ways and thoughts are higher, but it's just a way to submit and to incline our ear to him. And so, yeah, uh, last year, uh, the, my word was established and, mm-hmm. um, and you can see it even showed up in this year's theme for national day of prayer, you know, exalt the Lord who has established us and all that I learned about what God has established. Um, and this year, my word is righteousness, and i 'm looking forward to digging deep into into that biblical word of righteousness
0: all right we 're going to ask you over the course of the year to share more about that. Um, I think that I think this is something that Christians have an opportunity to speak into in the culture it's becoming kind of a culture thing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this word of the year process I see it in in all kinds of secular places. Um, yep. It has been a practice of many Christians for a long period of time there 's even a movement around it um and so thank you for being a person who 's done this and has not just a um you know not just a word but you you actually like have a rhythm built around it the the yes. uh the going before the Lord over a long period of time the digging through his word um on the subject of the particular word um and then having accountability with other people surrounding it. So I'm wondering if, um, you know, over, over the course of the year, we can talk more about that. Cause I think that even just understanding all those component parts, um, maybe in preparation for next year, right. in anticipation of 2023 people could, we could all be thinking about like how, who would those people be? How would I gather a group to do this? Um, you know, what, how does Kathy dig through uh, the word of God on the subject of her word? Like, how do you do that kind of word study? Like, maybe we could have those conversations going forward.
2: That'd be wonderful. I'd love that.
0: that, I'd love that. I'd love that. All right. I love you, dear, um, dear, sweet friend and sister in Christ. I miss seeing your face. I hope that 2022 Provides an opportunity to uh, to be together in some in some space and place. Blessings um, on the preparations for the National Day of Prayer. We'll be talking about that as well. Um, Kathy, thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Love you guys.
0: That's Kathy Branzell. You can find her at the National Day of Prayer Task Force. We'll be right back. So um, the headlines include inflation, empty shelves, uh, the reality that people who identify as political independents or centrists um, are weary of corruption, graft, divisive gridlock. There's a growing lack of confidence in uh, the management of the pandemic. Moms are growing increasingly angry at those responsible for public education. And, um, and here is the summary uh, statement to all of that. When, uh, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And so uh, job approval ratings for elected officials from the president on down are, well, they're below, well below 50%. And so today's a good day, I think, to take a deep breath and maybe drop off a gift card or a note of blessing to a mom who you know is just got a lot going on today, more than she can handle or bear. Trust me, um, everybody needs a tangible blessing today, everyone. So let's be the people who counter the world's depressive outlook with hope. Let's be the people who counter the world's sense of scarcity with a confidence in God's abundance. Let's be the people who counter the world's spirit of fear or division with the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. I mean, you know, let's get, let's get dressed and Let's walk out into the world that God so loves as the ambassadors of the king and the kingdom. Let's be who we are, not in arrogance, but in humility and in grace. Let's give the world exactly what it needs today, the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding. Don't just give people a piece of your mind. Give them the very peace Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app.